This is the More Than Work podcast, where we talk all about how to gain more satisfaction in your job. It's possible to enjoy your life and your work, because business is personal. Hey, More Than Workers, are you just at your job right now? And just like, how do I get through this again? It's another day. It's another day. I'm just slogging through this thing. This is just not very exciting. Where do I find my motivation? What do I do next? What do I, can I just please get home so I can get a drink? Can I just get home so that I can just find the things, do the things that I really actually like to do? Or are you a manager who feel like you're, that's not me, but you're describing all of my people. You're describing my employees. They just don't seem to be very motivated at work. What really motivates people? Like what gets people really excited? So there's actually a science around that. And early on getting into the consulting business, we decided that, boy, it's really important for us to understand that. So we met with some experts in the motivational field, Dr. Chantelle Levesque at Bristol out at, she's at Purdue University, giving her a shout out, expert in the field of motivation. And she taught us some things about motivation and where does motivation really come from? And so we thought we would bring some of those findings to you. So you can talk about what does that mean for you as an employee? And what does that mean for you as a manager or employer? How can you get your people to be more motivated? And for you, those of you who are stuck on the couch and trying to find motivation, how can you become more motivated? So with us, as always, is our people-centric team, Diana Royalty, Bethany Taff, and our host, Matt Griswold. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Uh, let's talk about this motivation topic. And, and, and I think it's interesting because a lot of uh, organizations that we do work with, they will come to us, but they don't always phrase it like, you know, I don't know how to, my, my people don't, don't appear to be motivated. In fact, we come at it because it's such an emotional thing. We come at it almost from the negative side of it. Like my people are checked out. My people are burned out. My people don't care. And, and really it's, it's kind of this question of motivation. And I think I, you know, I was sitting here thinking about this and you don't, you don't even know what I'm about to say right now, but it's this idea. How often are we asked by people are, you know what, Winnie, are you self-motivated? Are you self-motivated? Are you self-starter, self-motivated? And I think that's a farce or a half truth. Any idea why I would say that? I like that. I haven't thought about that statement before. Like oh, we're looking for self-motivated individuals. Well, the science says that all individuals are self-motivated. <laughs> right. Right. And Don, I know we've talked about this before too. Like, you know, it, it mentioning, you know, your teenage son on the couch playing Xbox and it feels like they're just not motivated to do anything. No, 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 no. They are. They're motivated to get the high score or defeat that game or like their motivation is different. This idea of being self-motivated. Are you self-motivated? Yes but maybe not about the same things that you would like me to be motivated around, right? Yeah, that's maybe a really good, ex- that's yeah. a good example. And we both have teenage sons. So I think maybe we're, <laughs> yeah. we commiserate on this a little bit. Yeah, I mean, my son just started college this year and he loves to play video games. And that's one of his passions that he's really into. And it's really easy to sit back and kind of watch that and go like, well, that's not very motivated. He spent a lot of time on it and all that kind of stuff. But really, if you dig into it, and I've had conversations about it. He's super passionate about it. Like he is behind the scenes working with the developers of those games, trying to help them to make it better. Uh, he is behind the scenes working with other fans on like setting records for it. He owns several world records in some pretty big uh, video games. That's awesome. Um, it's a big part of his life in terms of what he does. So you could say he's not motivated, but he's actually quite motivated. Yeah, my son, my son is 17. His name is Caden. He's a fantastic kid, great kid. But I've had the same parent teacher conference about Caden since he was in first grade. Great kid. Love Caden. Such a great leader. Like he's a charmer. 
But you know what? You know what, Caden? If he focused half as much on his math as he does on his basketball, he would ace this class. Caden is very motivated by basketball. He is not very motivated to get good grades in school. Uh, that is not my motivation. And so, like, if we just want to drive this full circle all the way around, like, why are we talking about home life? I thought this was a more than work podcast, right? This work, these more than workers. So if we're driving this and we're thinking about this in, in, in our organization or on our team, from a manager's perspective versus an employee's perspective, this might look just a little bit different. Managers, let me just talk to you for a second. Your employees are motivated. They are, they are motivated. They, they do. I think genuinely everybody at the end of the day wants to go home feeling pretty good about their day. They want to go home feeling like they had a good day, like they made a positive impact. I think generally speaking, that's true. The question really is, how do I get them motivated around the things that I also think are important as far as work, maybe the things that were, you know, on the scorecard or the things that are, you know, uh, uh, encourage them to manage other projects or step up and do something different instead of just their job. Like, that's the question I think managers struggle with is how do I get them uh, motivated at the things that I need them motivated about for their job. And from the employee, and we'll talk about that. And then from the employee's perspective, it's, you know what, I, I do feel like I'm kind of going through the motions. I maybe have lost my motivation for this particular job. I maybe have lost my motivation for this particular role or this, maybe I want to try something completely different. Maybe I'm having one of those, those feelings too. So how do we, I guess we could start from the employee side. If I'm the employee looking for that motivation, like some tangible things that you can't find on a bookmark, right? Like keep your chin up, keep going, uh, just just plow through, pull yourself up, right? Those are the things. Those are the things that we want to say to be able to help motivate somebody. But everybody that's listening right now is going, that I mean, that's not helpful, right? I, I have all of those bookmarks. I read those books, but I'm still kind of lacking. Like, what are some tangible things that we can maybe talk to employees about to help them determine, uh, you know, motivate, you know, their own motivation? I guess wouldn't, wouldn't be that. Wouldn't that be awesome if that worked? Because then like, think about that would be like for us as a company consulting with people, we could just go into places like that are working, just go up to somebody and say, hey, Tiger, how's it going? You feeling hey, good champ. about yourself? Champ, <laughs> you're a winner. Like you just keep hey, on going, don't, man. Don't call people Tiger at work. <laughs> hey, buddy. It's a little creepy. <laughs> okay. All right. Don't say, don't say Tiger. Hey, buddy. Yeah. How you doing? You're a winner and you're a winner. You're a winner. You're a winner. Get out Everybody there and take them. Raise yeah. your hand if you're a winner. Now put your hand down if you're a winner. You know what? That means everybody, right? So you're all a winner. Perfect. Put the hang the posters up of the cat hanging from the clothesline. You know, yeah, the hang in there, there. hanging mm-hmm. the posters. Those are motivating. I like it every time we talk about that because we talked about that poster at least on three podcasts. And every time one of us mentions it, you guys can't see us, but we are doing the motions where we are hanging ourselves, you know, on the on the little clothesline. <laughs> we kid. can't just say it, we got to do it. And you know what I'm talking about. People are driving around right now in the car going, yep, I'm doing the exact same thing right now. Listen to this podcast. You, you could say our team is really feline that example. Feline that example. <laughs> Zing. Meow. See, that motivates yeah. people. If you could see Diana and <laughs> Bethany's face right now, they look really motivated. They're just They're like, all this, is, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm here. Yeah. Well, Matt, you know, your original question, you know, is what, what, where do you find that motivation if you're a frontline employee? I think that, you know, a lot of times we are fooled in our careers thinking that we're going to find it from something that our job is going to give us, which a lot of times is pay, right? If I just get the job that pays enough, that just gives me enough benefits, that gives me the career that I want, that maybe even the prestige as something from the outside, whatever it is, or something from the outside that's really going to motivate us. Uh, that's going to be really, really exciting. But then there's lots of people. Um, I just talked to somebody this morning who reached out to me and said, like, I'm really stuck. And they've got a dream job. They've got a great job, great pay, everything else. And they reached out and said, like, and I'm miserable. And that doesn't make sense to me. 
So there's something more going on to that. Now, sure, pay is a motivator, you know, and the science behind that's very interesting. There's intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. Extrinsic motivation is something that comes from the outside. If I paid you enough money to do something, would you do it? The answer is yes. But the truth is, is that's not going to continuously motivate you at a high level. That doesn't really, really get you get you really, really excited. Now, let me say there's an exception to that. And there's probably some salespeople that are out there listening to this podcast right now and saying, no, 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 the pay and how much I make gets me totally motivated. I'm going to argue that it's actually the pay is more symbolic of you just winning. And that's what really motivates salespeople is the winning part of it. But studies show that that extrinsic motivation doesn't work as well. So there's a clue in that that says, but there's a different kind that's intrinsic motivation. So there's things that motivate us internally better. And that's it, that's, that's like something from within us that gets us really excited and motivated. So it's the key to that is understanding what things get us excited internally versus externally. Bethany. I ask a question with that because I, we recently talked about resilience a little bit and there are right now several different types of industries that are experiencing, you're hearing a lot about burnout. So we talk about like healthcare. And then another one is teachers. My husband's a teacher. I have several friends who are teachers who are talking about just this burnout that they're feeling. And they have a very purposeful job in healthcare and in teaching. And a lot of the, a lot of the articles that you read for both is really, it comes back to like, people are like, well, we, if we were paid more or we were paid for what we do and we, we really do take care of people and we really care about people. And, you know, we're doing this, these great things, but really, so what you're saying is like pay is not ultimately going to solve that problem. It sounds like there's probably other things for them, but those are two areas that, you know, they have a lot of purpose. They understand their why. So how would you, how would you answer to them <laughs> too, I guess? I think, I, I think, uh, let me, let me chime in there and Don, I know you have thoughts and Diana, you probably do too. I think, let me, let me start by saying, uh, yes, I think we, we have an instinct to just throw more money at people and, and that'll smooth it all over. And I think more and more, that's kind of an old school mentality. I think more and more people are realizing that that's not, that's not the game. We do talk about this. And I, and I do think that we should probably put a disclaimer in here saying we do think you should pay people a livable wage. Yes, we should pay pay people appropriately foundationally. So we are not anti-money. We are pro-money. Money is good, right? People need money, but that's not that's not the sticking power there. It's like when people define their culture as being fun. That's cool, but that's not how you define a culture. Same same thing with this. Money is not necessarily the motivator that motivates uh, that motivates all people. You know, Diana and I we just you know had a conversation with a nonprofit. And talk about an an organization, nonprofit, that, man, can rally around a reason why we're doing what we're doing. And there's a lot of infighting and the teams are just disrupting each other and and disagreeing on whose role is more important. And like, man, you know, they're not in it. They're not in it for the money. They're in it for the purpose. And we still have this kind of infighting. So really, I think it comes down to these other foundational things like the, you know, what is it that we're focused on? What's the why over the what? What's the strategy of where we're going and where do you fit into that? And do you want to be a part of it? Because ultimately we have choices when it comes to that too. Don, Diana, I don't know if you'd add something to that or not. So there's sometimes there's a, there's a, uh, a diagram that sometimes we show. So you're going to, it's a podcast, so you can't see a diagram right now. So I'm just going to have to describe it to you. So if imagine a scale 
uh, from one side to another. And on one side of the scale is I am totally unmotivated to do that. I will never do that. That's where skydiving falls for me. There is zero interest for me to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Zero interest for me doing that. Not interested in heading towards that. I know some of you feel differently about that, but not me. It's way over here on the not motivated scale. Over on the other side is like the super motivated scale. I am on fire about it. Like you could not stop me from doing it if you tried to. So think about that. Somewhere in the middle of that scale is the whether you're going to do it or not. Whether you're going to do it or not. So if you are on the unmotivated side of whether you're going to do it or not, pay can get you to do something that you weren't going to do before. Right. Think about the, the playground. Like, I'll give you five bucks if you eat this piece of mud. You know, OK, sure. You know, I'll eat it. Whatever it is, like kids will do that. There's something they wouldn't have done before that they'll motivate to do that, that, that the pay will get them to, to work on. Now, if you're on the motivated side, though, pay has the opposite effect, actually. Pay will distract people from feeling good about their job sometimes if it's too high, if it's too loud. So let's say you've got a really, really great job and you keep getting really big bonuses and pay for that stuff. And then let's say the pay suddenly goes away for some reason, like, like it's a bonus pay and then suddenly the pay goes away. And I've seen this happen, especially in professional services. The company's doing great. They pay big bonus checks. The company struggles or hits a, hits a slow point and the, the paychecks aren't there. And you see everybody's motivation level go way down even though they really do like their jobs. So the pay can actually kind of push you towards like just barely doing your job. Now there's another factor on that that I think Matt kind of alluded to or that Bethany was really alluding to is Maslow, right? Have you heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? If you are hungry and you can't make your loan payment on your house and you don't know where your next meal is gonna come from, those conditions are gonna keep you from feeling that internal motivation. So you have to overcome that. So you do need some base level of pay. And I think that's, I mean, teachers, I think, fall into that category. You know, a starting teacher barely makes a living wage. So if you're barely making a living wage, I don't care how passionate you are about teaching kids, that other thing's going to keep pulling you back. That's going to be a problem. You see the same thing happening at fast food places. If you're making, you know, $9 an hour, you can't make a living doing that. And I think that a lot of those jobs aren't really designed for people to make a living, but some people do. And so then they work two or three of those kinds of jobs, barely squeaking by, and that's very unmotivating. But at the same time, like if you're at a fast food place now that's not paying $15 an hour, that was paying $10 an hour. If you go see those places, like uh, we go visit them, like we're there. Do, are the people suddenly look a lot more motivated and a lot happier because now you're paying them $15 versus $10 an hour? No, they're not. It's not like they're suddenly like, oh my gosh, this place is all of a sudden a great place to work. So those external motivators can get you to do something that you wouldn't have done before, but they're not really the long-term answer for getting you inspired and just excited and in the, in the zone kind of motivated. Like I'm really excited about it. So what if we looked at this from maybe the lens of the manager's? Because I can just, I can imagine the managers that are listening right now, like, oh, okay, so I can't, you're telling me I can't entice them to, to motivation. I can't entice them to do better. Like they have to do it. They have to find it themselves. Listen, I've got a scorecard to me. I have responsibilities for my team that I have to drive them towards too. How long do I need to wait on my team to find motivation, right? I, I, it's, it, it feels like we're taking all of that away from the manager. And I don't think that's necessarily true either. I think I think great leaders do have the ability to be able to inspire and motivate their teams to want to do well. So what are some of those things? Maybe we've maybe tips for those managers or maybe the things that we've observed some great leaders, you know, who have motivated teams following them. What are they doing to be able to create that motivation or help create the motivation for their employees? So I know I'm talking a lot here, but I was the one that got to spend a lot of time with that professor. So I'm, let me lay out the information so our whole team can kind of jump in here a little bit. 
I mean, let me share a quick story. So when, when I first got out of college and got my first job, I lived in an apartment. My wife and I lived in an apartment building. And one day walking through the parking lot, fumbling stuff, I dropped my wallet in the parking lot. And I didn't realize I had dropped it until, you know, later on. And then I realized I'd dropped it. And I didn't know where it was. I had no idea where it was. Went looking for it, couldn't find it. Two days later, somebody else from the apartment complex called us and said, I found your wallet. I found your wallet. I went to go meet the person then down like in the parking lot. And let me just say, I'm pretty good at reading people. He considered not giving me back the wallet. He considered keeping the wallet. Like he was, he was overly proud for handing a wallet back to somebody. Like if, I think most of you are listening to this. If you found somebody else's wallet, you'd be like, no big deal. Hey, you dropped this. Here it is. He was like super proud. Like he made this really big decision. He, you know, Hey, I found your wallet. And, you know, I just, I, I looked through it to see what who's, you know, I didn't take any of the money. You can count the money in it and everything else. I left everything in it. It's, it's all yours. It's all here. I mean, just super excited that he was giving me back the wallet. And he felt great about it. And I, and he went to hand me the wallet and I said, look, I don't even need to count it. I believe you. Like, I believe you, you clearly are really, really excited, you know, or clearly you wanted to do the right thing here. And I really appreciate it. And he just was beaming, just absolutely thrilled. And then I went to hand him $20 as a thank you, like, here's a reward for it. And the look on his face just dropped. Like it went from like, I am super excited to hand you this wallet to suddenly I went from, I did this because I felt good about it to a financial transaction. And there was probably $50 in the wallet, you know? So it suddenly went from like, I could have got 50 if I'd kept it like, you know, but I'm going to get 20 out of this. He didn't do it for the money, but giving him the money kind of pulled him back. Like it, it, it caused a negative backlash. So what do you do as a manager, Matt? That's your question is you can't motivate people, but you can create an environment where people can feel motivated and people feel motivated when three different things happen. Number one, it's when you're working within your areas of strength. When you get to do the thing that you're great at doing, that is motivational. The tricky part is that it's different for everybody. So everybody's motivated the same way differently because everybody has different strengths. So that's number one is working within your strengths. Number two, people are very, very motivated when they have some autonomy, when they get to choose what they do. If somebody else comes to you and they tell you exactly what to do every single day and you have no choices, that is very unmotivational. If you can't, de unmotivational, demotivational. There we go, different word, demotivational. That's very demotivational. So what if people have a choice on what to do and they make decisions, even if those decisions are wrong and they can adjust for it, people will own what they help to create right? They'll, have, they'll feel that ownership and they feel motivation towards it. And then the third area is people love, fundamentally love doing things with other people towards a common purpose. They want to have that purpose. They want to understand why they're doing what they're doing. If you understand why you're doing what you're doing at the end of the day, and you have this whole team around you that are all working towards that why, that is a very, very natural motivational tool for all of us. Now, that's all stuff that comes internal from an external environment. Now, why is it internal? It's because it's your strengths, it's your choices, and it's, it's whether you agree with the purpose or not. Can you get on board with the purpose? That's why it comes from internal, but managers can certainly do things to drive, how can you work people within your strengths and how can you help them have some choices and how can you make sure they have a clear purpose? Yeah, so if I'm a manager looking for a tangible takeaway, like I think you just laid it out well right there, those three bullet points, like what are some things that I can do tomorrow 
And and I, I want to make sure the managers heard that correctly, because as you're talking about it, Don, you're going, you know, intrinsically, we want to work within our strengths. So if I pivot that around to a manager, so how do I determine the strengths of my people? Like maybe that's step one, that I need to understand the strengths of my people, understanding too, that just because they're doing the things that they're doing, they might not like doing the things that they're doing. That might not actually be a strength. They just happen to be good at it, uh, but they don't really like to do it. And so maybe starting a step one, let's identify maybe the strengths of my people, understand the players on the field. That might be a good a good opportunity to be able to, to start to be able to help them work within their strengths. Tasking them, this is a whole nother, man, I don't know if we've done a podcast on delegation, but being able to work in autonomy, that would be another good topic if we haven't done it. Bethany is saying, yes, we have have done that. I don't know. 60 we're going to have somebody in. else do it, I think, is what we're going to do. Yeah, I think yeah. we passed that pass that off to somebody. So, but, you know, giving the people the opportunity to work with a little autonomy there, you know, as managers, if I can pivot that around to what, what are you telling me as a manager then? Think of some of those tasks that I, after understanding the strengths, what are some of those tasks that we need completed that maybe I have owned that I don't need to own necessarily? I don't have to continue to carry these things. I have, turns out, a few people that really like doing those things. How do I delegate some of those things and let them run with it, give them some autonomy to be able to run with it, and then creating spaces for collaboration? You know, and you might be going, well, we have a team meeting. I think this is bigger than just the team meeting where we all get together, right? There's a common purpose. There's a project that we're working on. We give them autonomy to be able to work on it. We're trusting trusting them to do it. And and Don, I think what you're saying is if, if I'm a manager and I can find out ways to do that, all of a sudden, it's not even a question of how do I motivate people? I'm doing these things. And the ripple effect is all of a sudden they become a little bit more motivated because I'm installing these things, right? I don't have to focus on the word motivate, motivate, motivate. Like this is a now ripple effect of the things that I've done. So I want to pull that back to our team here and ask our team members who are here on the podcast with us is how can we pull people's strengths? How do we understand people's strengths? One thing I think that it's important to have, make sure that you're having conversations with your employees. So if you're regularly checking in with them, you can start asking them those questions and helping them explore and process like, what are the things you like to do? And what are the things that you feel like you're good at? By simply asking them is one way you can do it. I think another thing that you can do, and this is just an extra an extra tool that you can take, but have them take Strengths Finder. Have your whole whole team do that as well, or other kinds of personality assessments. I think those are sometimes a really helpful tool and resource for you to be able to understand. Because I think sometimes we 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 do something so like second nature that we don't even recognize that that's a strength and, or that's a skill set or whatever. And so sometimes it's helpful to do things like that so that you have a language around it. And so that you can be able to use that then to point to specific examples within your work. So those are just a couple of ideas. Yeah. I'll echo a little bit of what Bethany said. I think that people get so used to how they work. They don't realize that they're the stuff they are very good at and that they do all the time is actually a strength. I, before I started working with Matt, didn't realize that there were some people that just don't like paperwork. Like paperwork is amazing. I don't know why you wouldn't want to do it. It's so fun. It's meticulous. I didn't realize there were people that didn't like paperwork. (laughs) I just thought that it was like a joyful part of everyone's job. It's tax time, everybody. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So like when all the PPP stuff came out, I was like, yes, so much government paperwork. But- Mm. I think that those things that you get excited about at work that you don't realize you're excited about is a way to find your own strength. Because I think if people have said to me, well, what are your strengths? 
a lot of times like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm good at a lot of stuff. Right. Like, and the stuff I'm not good at, I try to be good at anyway. So it's a very like weird thing to ask me. So I think you have to look at the things that you do and get excited about that are easy for you and kind of second nature. I'm afraid Diana, that because the way you said that, that some of the listeners who are listening to this would say you're being, you're joking, right? Like people actually love paperwork, but knowing you, like I do, like you legit got excited. It's one of the happiest times I've ever seen you was going through the PPP process. It's not, it's, it's not a lie. I genuinely love lots of forms. Like I want to fill them out. I want to be meticulous about it. I really like seeing how other people think about forms, which those government forms were terrible, by the way, could have made them much better, but right. Yeah. But I figured it out. I made it good. I submitted everything. And man, let me tell you the best feeling in the world is when the government does not come back to you and say they need more things. I did it so meticulously and so perfectly that they didn't ask for more stuff. And to me, that's like the coolest thing ever. And we got our money very early and it was very successful. Yeah. He's a rock star. But I think what you said, Don, to to Diana was the the fact that you were able to point out and say, like, that might be surprising to Diana. And not everybody feels that way. And I think that's like we've had one on ones. And that's why I think that's so important that you're having those one on ones with your employees, because you've been able to do that with me, too, Don, where I'm like well, of course this, or of course I would do it this way. Of course I like that or blah, blah, blah. And like, doesn't everybody. And you're like, and you're like, actually, no, you've pointed out to me, like, actually, no, not everybody does like that. (laughs) So I think it's helpful to have somebody who can, who can kind of see those things and point it out to people. It's kind of cool as a manager to think about that. If you're leading a team, because then you could find people that do things that a lot of other people don't like to do. And that's a way for you to motivate that person. So not only can you get the work done that you would think no one else would want to do and find somebody that does want to do it, and they also get excited about it. So that's the neat thing about working within this motivation side. Let's talk about the autonomy side. How can managers help to give their employees feel like they have some choice? How can they feel like they get, they have some choice in the situation? Well, I'll share a story about a team My husband is a healthcare worker and obviously healthcare workers are tired right now. They've just done a lot. And he was asking me, you know, some ways to motivate them or, you know, pep them back up. And he said, we've done things like we bring in pizza and we have, you know, little gatherings and we bring in snacks every day and we tell them to go for a walk. And we've done a lot of things like that. And I just posed back to him, like, was anybody asking for those things? And he was like, oh, no. And I was like, it's cool that you're giving those to them, right? Like, that's awesome. But wouldn't it be cooler if you were giving them things that they actually asked for that would actually help them? And so to him, he it was like, oh, well, that's really basic. And I should have done that anyway. But to the team, it was like, we have autonomy in what we're getting to do and say, and we're asking for things and actually getting them. And we get to select these things. And I think that little bit of autonomy in a high stress job just made their whole world different. Like someone was asking them what they needed and how they could make it better. So, so the key word, the two words that you're probably key to that story is ask them, ask them the questions, right? So a lot of times we see managers, I was talking to a seasoned manager from a large corporation yesterday, and he kept talking about how the beginning of his career, you spend all of your time learning all of the things that you need to learn. 
And now he's at the point in his career where he knows a lot of the things and now he's managing other people. So people come to him with questions about those things. And what he's learning is not to answer the questions because part of his job is to help other people discover their path, right? To ask more questions. So if somebody comes to him, hey, I've got this really big problem on this project and I'm having trouble dealing with it. Can I, can I, can, what, what do you think I should do next? The manager doesn't say, well, I'm gonna let you figure this out. I'm not gonna help you. The manager can say things like, well, what have you tried so far? Like bounce some things off of me, tell, talk to me. Because if the other person can answer the question and they can stay engaged with it, then they own it. You know, ownership is them owning it. They have that direction. So as a manager, if you're trying to build autonomy within your team, ask more questions. Ask more questions and get out of the way. Yeah, and I think this, you know, if you're doing this. Or... Sorry, Bethany, go ahead. I was just going to say, I just had a conversation with somebody about this too, who is like on the other, the flip side is a newer manager and just the idea of, okay, we have to, so the, and the example is, you know, we need to improve our social media. And so we talked about a little bit about, okay, how, like what a coaching approach looks like. And we've talked about coaching in the past too, but that's really what this idea is is when you're asking other people so that they own the change or they own the direction or whatever it is, or the decision that needs to be made because they're a part of it. And so, so I threw out this word coaching and sort of, I think sometimes people think, oh, so maybe I'm just like reframing it. So I'm using this word coaching. So when I tell somebody what to do, I'm really just coaching them. (laughs) And that's not really what we mean. It really is It really is helping them discover what the next step is on their own. And you can kind of guide people in a, in a specific way. So, so instead of saying, Hey, I'm coaching you to let you know that you need to do this with our social media page. It's not that it's the question of, Hey, you can still set a direction and say, Hey, we have to really create, we have to improve our social media. What are some ideas that you have for how we can do that. And that gives people that creativity. It gives them, you know, an opportunity to share their own opinions. They might say, I actually don't think we need to improve our social media. Great. Why is that? (laughs) And you guys can figure that out. But I think that that's a really, I think that is a really effective way to help um, motivate people um, is just that coaching approach, which again, I think we have another uh, episode on that if you're curious about yeah, that. How to ask really good questions, but that's key for motivation, right? I mean, that really does help people to feel like they're plugged in. Uh, it also helps them to develop. And then it also helps them to give you think you might not be right, by the way, on the direction you want to go. So you might get a better direction by what other people tell you too. So Again, the strengths why you, it's, it's not only does it motivate your team, but it's also better for your team because if you're working within your strengths, you're doing better. If your manager is getting to use your strengths and the team gets more diverse strengths that it gets to utilize. The autonomy piece, again, if you're working where you have some choice, it feels better, right? You get to make better decisions that way. But then as a manager, it also helps your team take more ownership and gets more input for it. So again, this things that, the things that are good for individual people are also good for teams. Interesting, that's interesting, interesting theme we're picking up here. So the third area is purpose, right? The why do we do what we do? We've talked about this before. You know, why we do what we do really impacts how well we do it. Uh, and it's fundamentally because we're motivated really well when we work towards a purpose with other people. So what are some ways that, let me start with, let's start with the employer first as a manager. So as a manager, how can you manage a team and help them feel more of the purpose of what they're doing? I think 
I think we talk to companies all the time about how do you create this vision for people? How do you make them feel like they're part of something bigger? And and ultimately, companies try to do that through three, three things. It's vision, mission, and values, right? That we have to come up with what we're all working towards to make our company whole and so that everyone's rowing in the same direction. Uh, I think where it breaks down is they have these great discussions at the top and then it's not totally shared all the way through the organization. Or you have this great vision, but I have no idea where I fit into that. You say you have these values, but I've never seen them displayed or I don't see them defined or I don't know how they play a role in my job every day. And so I think when we can clearly define those things, clearly say how they're used in the workplace and then show people where they fit, that will ultimately lead to them feeling like they're part of something bigger and giving them this great purpose. That's so awesome because so many times companies come to us and they say, do I really need to have a mission statement? Do I really need to have a vision? And a lot of times we'll tell them like, look, the, the statement itself is not important, but the mission itself is super important. And that's why it's because of what you just said, because people don't understand the bigger picture of why they even show up every day. Uh, that's demotivational for sure. You know, another tip too, that we talk about, and this one's so obvious, I think sometimes it's easy to forget about it, is the idea that how much do you expose your employees to the final product and the people that use your product or service? Like, do they get to see what happens at the end of the day? So many times it's, uh, we do a little piece of a job that, and we don't necessarily get direct exposure to the customer. At the end of the day, we don't get to see the bigger picture of what it is that we're doing. Exposure to that, I think is really helpful too in that purpose stage. Yeah, I was, that makes me think we, you know, I brought up teaching teachers uh, at the beginning of the episode and even healthcare workers, but specifically, like, I think with, for my husband, who is a teacher, some of the things that have been most, like, have been so helpful for his motivation is when he hears from a student who just graduated high school or is, you know, or is saying like, hey, I'm studying this in college now, or hey, I just went to high school. He's a junior high teacher. I just went to high school and I'm in this English class. And this is how your class connected for me in in this class that I'm in now, or just like letters from, you know, emails from parents too, that have been able to say like, Hey, this is how you impacted my kid so many years later. And I think it's really the same, the same idea of you don't always get to see the outcome of your work. um, And in that moment, and it's so, so in any industry, it's so helpful to see where people end up or where your product ends up and how it's contributing to something bigger. I would say that's been just from personal experience, being able to watch it of like in those moments where he's struggling with motivation, when he gets that kind of that kind of feedback or that kind of information, it just kind of re-energizes him. Yeah. And I'll even add a little bit to that. I think in those industries like healthcare and nonprofit and stuff where the mission is very clear and very loud, I think sometimes managers need to stay, take a step back and say, okay, our mission is always good patient care. That's a given. But my mission right now is to care for you guys and determine what you need, right? And just redefine what the purpose is of maybe, maybe trying to find the motivation for them. Like what's the purpose right now? And I think when managers can take a step back and focus a little bit on the immediate need, it'll help others find some of the motivation to continue the big need. Mm -hmm. 
I like that a lot. And you can do that from an employee perspective too, right? You can start to think about like, what are we, what are we accomplishing bigger picture? So you could seek that out. You don't need your employer necessarily to come to you to see what is the company accomplishing or to interact with the customers more. Uh, you could go to your boss and say, hey, I'd like to be exposed to this a little bit more about what our customers do or, or what the final product is. Can I go see, we work with a group of architects and a lot of the architecture that they do is like around across the country. And architecture uses so much technology these days that like you can work on a building and never see the building. Like, so you can never go out there to see it. And so there's an architecture company that realized like some of the designers were working on these buildings and they never got to see them. And their, their motivation was dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping. They just, and it, it was hard to even put their finger on why, what it was. They went out on a trip, they took a road trip and went out and visited some of these buildings and got to see it. And they stood outside and said, look, here's the thing we did here. And this is what this looks like and all that kind of stuff. And suddenly the team just felt, wait, boy, that's amazing. Look what I just did. I get to see it. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. I have a question, well, or a point that I wanted to bring up that I I don't know if there's a direction if we want to go down this road too far, but I was thinking about when we were talking about when you were sort of laying out the three motivations, and we did say that like pay isn't always a positive motivation. I was thinking about like, what are like other negative motivations that we do have in the workplace? Because I do think that people are motivated in the workplace sometimes, but it's from a negative source. And so I thought, I I didn't know if that was something to explore, if there was anything there at all. That's a great question, Bethany. I think that, so I, I heard a financial planner talk one time about creating what they called golden handcuffs for employees. And so it's this idea of like, you're, you're a really key employee. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some stock ownership. I'm going to give you a salary. I'm going to give you all these benefits and I'm going to, I'm going to maybe uh, vet some, uh, some other benefit. Like you stay with the company for this long, you get this, those kinds of things that make it very hard to leave a company. And that's going to really keep people in. Those types of things, in my experience, really backfire. The employee who, think about the employee who works for you, who gets frustrated, who can't leave. That fundamentally goes against our autonomy. Like that is, oh, I would love to leave that job, but I can't leave because I've got too much of a, my pension is there or my life insurance is there and I'm not able to get that someplace else. Like when you feel trapped like that, that is fundamentally going against, that's a negative motivator and it can really create some negativity for the person. Yeah, I think I've definitely seen that with some biz, with some companies where it's like they have a really great retirement plan, but nothing else is good. <laughs> and so people feel stuck because they don't want to they don't want to give that up. But I've also seen I think I was thinking about I think there's people who get in positions where they're really good at their job. So things get piled onto them. And so then it's sort of this like, oh, I don't want to let anybody down. So I'm motivated by people pleasing. And sometimes that's sort of a personal issue. And if you're in that position too, and you're sort of, you're staying motivated at work because you don't want to let people down and that's your only motivation, then, hey, maybe we should talk, (laughs) maybe reach out to us. We could talk a little bit or find somebody who you can talk to about that or talk to your boss about that and say, hey, this is where I'm at because I've definitely seen, I've definitely seen that motivator for people. Uh, there's a study that sometimes we quote in our management training that talks about six reasons why people work and three of them are very positive. And those are things like I'm making a difference. I really believe and I'm learning and I'm, in what we're doing and I'm learning and growing. And then the negative things that are on there is like, cause I don't want to disappoint somebody uh, because I have to work economically. I have to work for whatever reason. And then the, the last one is, I don't know why I work. I just do it. 
you know, I, that's a lack of purpose. And you can assign those three and both of those, the top three, the good ones and the three bad ones as the top three are good because they, they hit on the strengths, they hit on the autonomy and they hit on the purpose. And the bottom three are anti, they push back against the strengths, they push back against the autonomy and they push back against the purpose. So yeah, there are some different, those, those different motivators. Now, some of you are listening and thinking, well, I, if you didn't pay me, I wouldn't work. Like I get that. That is it that everybody works because you do get paid, right? Or most people work because they get paid. You have to get paid. The mortgage company demands a payment. Me, no, not me. I'm here for all the good reasons. None of oh, the. Thank yeah. you. That's yeah, going to make our financials look much better next year. That'll be great. Oh, no, I, I well, still you, need the paycheck. Oh, oh okay. I was okay. going to say, if she doesn't want to get paid, you could just like add a little bit. <laughs> yeah, just, just redistribute. We'll just redistribute. That'd be mm-hmm, great. Mm-hmm. But, but, those things, we still need that pay. So it's not like the people don't work for pay. We're not saying that at all. We're just saying, if you really want the people to be inspired and motivated at a high level, it's the pay should be there, but it should be there quietly. Uh, people ask about compensation strategies all the time. And I always sum it down to two words. And, I, and I've, I haven't had anybody fight me on this yet. I've had a lot of people fight me on it, but I haven't seen the alternative to it. And this is going to surprise a lot of you. Here it is. Pay quietly. I think you should pay quietly. I think the more that people are really focused on their pay and how much income they're going to get and all of that, I think the more that they get focused that that's why they work instead of the intrinsic reasons why they work, that it's towards a bigger purpose because they get to use their strengths. So that might surprise some of you because we've talked about things like the great game of business that that does put in things like bonus structures in place. We think that those bonus structures can work sometimes, but really they work well when the bonuses are more reflective of the performance of the company and really when they're symbolic of the bigger purpose of what the company's doing. The bonuses become a symbol of the success that you feel. It makes a big difference. So sometimes if the prizes are too big, then it can distract us like we're doing it for the money. But I've seen some of the best. Uh, we, we were with a company, manufacturing company outside of Chicago, and they came up with this idea that saved a bunch of, a bunch of work uh, and a bunch of money, it saved them $50,000 a year. And they handed out Carhartt jackets with their company logo on them to the employees. And one of the employees grabs a microphone from the owner who's given, which is always an interesting moment and said, how many of you guys did this because you got this new coat? And nobody raised their hand. And he said, how many of you guys did this because it brought our team together and that we made a difference for this company? And they started cheering and he got choked up and he looked back at everybody and he goes, so every time you see somebody wearing this coat, you remember what we did today. Like you remember what happened here. And it was like, that was so cool. So the coats now become representative of what they're doing together. It becomes representative of the purpose. Not it's because they got a coat, not because they got a coat. So you want to be careful about that. Whenever you're doing gifts and bonuses and things like that, you're in, you're in dangerous territory. Make sure that it's symbolic. Make sure that it is reflective back to the strengths that people are working in, the autonomy that they have, and the purpose, the bigger purpose of why they do what they do. So let's do final takeaways. Let's go around the horn. What do you think? What's what what's your takeaway from the discussion or your last words there, Diana? I don't know if it's the biggest takeaway, but it is something that I've said to a lot of people lately. And it is that you don't know what your people want unless you're asking them. Like yeah. you've got to start asking the question and having the conversation. I know that it's going to open up a can of worms sometimes, but like it's worth the conversation. And so my thing is ask them or ask yourself what you want, right? If you don't know what you want yourself, ask yourself, just have the question. 
just say the question and one find of my favorite thing one of my favorite things we say all the time diana is when somebody says well i don't know what my people are thinking and we always go why don't you know what they're thinking yeah how could you not know what they're thinking you have experts that work for you that know exactly what they're thinking and it's them yeah they can tell you they will tell you you can even ask direct them what they're good access. at their direct access they will tell you exactly what they're thinking yeah. bethany yeah, to piggyback off of that, you're talking about like asking yourself, even I think if you are feeling unmotivated at work, I would go back to even just take inventory of like what you're doing at work and to and figure out what your strengths are and what you're good at and see if they match. And if they don't, then I think you need to ask yourself a little bit of a deeper question to talk with your manager and say, like, I don't think either I don't think what I'm doing is really in my skill set. Could we work on that together or are there other opportunities? Or honestly, it, I think that's a big indicator of if it's time for you to look somewhere else. And I think that's okay too, because nobody wants to be in a job that they hate forever. And so spend some time just kind of assessing your work and, and if it's really what you need to be doing. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I'm going to drive off of yours. You know, we talked about, we've talked about employees and managers that are different positions here in motivation, but they are all motivated in the same kind of way. So if you are that employee and you're stuck and you're not very motivated, first do your job better and see if that helps. First go do your job, apply your strengths to it. Make sure you see if you can get some decision-making power to that. Go to your boss and say, can I own some of this stuff? Can I take some decisions? Even if it's small at first, like try to find something and then make sure that whatever you're doing is aligned with the purpose of the company uh, and see if that helps you. Like, like try that first because a lot of times employees, tr truth bomb, it's you. You're the one that bro it's broken, not the company. That can be true. So try to fix that first. And then if the company's not providing you with a powerful enough why or not giving you the opportunities to use your strength or make choices, then leave. But now you're leaving in a position of strength where you've made a positive impact on your employer. And then if you're the employer and you're the manager, unleash your people. Like really, they are want they want to be motivated. They're ready to help you to be motivated. It's not that they aren't motivated. It's that you're not motivating them or you're not creating the environment where they can feel that motivation is a better way of putting that. So thanks a lot for listening to our podcast as anytime, Diana, you can, uh, you can ask us questions, right. And give us topics. Yeah, and stuff. How you, can they do can. That? you can send us anything you want. You can send us feedback. You can tell us topics you want to hear about. You can tell us a situation that you need help with. Just send us an email at more than work at people all right. Thanks all everybody and lead them well. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the more than work podcast. Join us next time. And in the meantime, lead well.